Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I'm your host. And I have a good conversation for you today. Kathy Slusarski and I sat down. Kathy and I, gosh, we've been friends for about five years now. We met in the context of pastoral planning. Some of you know what that is. It's that process whereby a diocese tries to properly allocate resources for uh, our parishes, the facilities, and the priestly support. And oftentimes, as demographics change and as population shift and as priest availability drops, it means loss. Kathy's been through pastoral planning three different times with her little parish in Duncan, and she tells the story about the hope that she has uh, about the way her faith has grown through the process of pastoral planning and some really cool things that her little parish in Duncan is doing to build community and to begin to share their faith. She talks about how just the, the community has grown closer together, how people are stepping up to serve, and really how people are having profound, if not ordinary, profound encounters with Jesus. It's a great story. She talks about online. Uh, we give a little plug for CEC. Uh, it's a really good conversation. For those of you who have any connection to pastoral planning, any small town background, you're really going to appreciate my conversation with Kathy today. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Kathy Slusarski, welcome to the EquipCast. How are you? I am great, Jim. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am so good. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Kathy, how long does it have we known each other? Has it been about five years now? I think. Yep, I think it's been about five years. Mm-hmm. Five or yeah. six years. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just been great. No, getting to know you. Yeah, likewise. We've met uh, in in the context of pastoral planning. It wasn't. I don't. It wasn't personally stressful. Meaning there was no tension with us. But we met in the context of what was a kind of a stressful situation, a little, little tense with the parishes grouped together. You're, you're a member of the parish in Duncan, but Platt Center, Duncan and Tarnov. And I remember coming out for a meeting there and it was, there were a lot of wonderful people there. Everybody was, there was wonderful, even the people who were agitated, but there was a, there was, there was some intensity there and gosh, I don't even remember, but yeah, we had a chance to, I think, kind of meet there and connect and I am really excited for you to be able to share a little bit of your story uh, personally, and then kind of how it weaves in with this phenomenon, you know, not, not unique to the Archdiocese of Omaha. Almost every uh, diocese in the United States is facing similar challenges in, you know, what we call pastoral planning is we have to shift resources in because of, you know, uh, changes in priest numbers, shifts in population from rural to, to urban centers, the disaffiliation of the faith. It's, you know, it's a, it's a Nebraska thing. It's an Archdiocese of Omaha thing, but it's, it's pretty universal around the country. So I'm, I'm really glad to be able to, to talk about it today. Kathy, why don't you introduce yourself? Like tell people a little bit about like, what's your, tell people a little about your faith journey and when you first encountered Jesus. I am a um, born and raised Nebraskan. I uh, was baptized in the parish here in Duncan. 
I had, uh, my children were all baptized here in Duncan. I was married in this church. Uh, the church here in Duncan was our second home. My children wow. were forced by their mother and their father to uh, do something at the church. So they either had to be a mass server, a lector, they had to do something. And if there was a job to be done around the parish, they knew they were going to be forced to do that too. So the volunteering has continued generational. So, oh, so that's I, am great. Very, uh, I am very excited about that. I am a widow. Uh, my wonderful husband, again, I buried him from this uh, blessed church here in Duncan. Um, I've been a widow nine years now. Mm. It definitely has been a journey there, too. So uh, yeah. I have 11 grandchildren who are the most amazing people on this planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oldest is 12. Youngest is six. So we're packed in there pretty tight. Seven boys. Yeah, wow. Three. Grandma still lives on the farm. So they all love to come out here and have a great time, too. They all get along great. I am blessed. They all get to go to Catholic school. Their parents are all happily married and are very active in their faith also. So I have been very blessed in that way. Through all of my journey, um, I have learned. I have always been active in my faith. Uh, my faith has always been very important to me. Mm-hmm. I was the crazy mother that dragged babies to church for daily mass. <laughs> uh, I love yeah. going to mass. And so, you know, I was the one in the back of church with the baby probably screaming because they didn't want to be at mass, but mom wanted to be at mass. Yeah. So, so my faith has always been very important to me. Um, I was blessed to be able to attend a Catholic school here in Duncan. Also, we had a Catholic school as wow. did most small towns. So from early on, my faith has always been very important to me. I can't name any specific time when I had mm-hmm. my first encounter with Jesus. He has just always been there with me and uh, has always been a very important part of my life. It's beautiful. My husband was tricked into going to CEC <laughs> by our pastor here in Duncan yeah. years ago. Uh, my uh, my husband lost a bet to our pastor. That that seems really odd to say that. Oh, and, that's great! I love <laughs> so, that. What what was it about? Was it football or was it? Uh, no, it, uh, he. My pastor said. Uh, uh, told my husband that if he could get my brother to go to CEC, would he go also? Because he knew my pastor knew that I wanted to go, and uh, yeah, of course, my I knew my brother would go. So <laughs> there we go. My brother went, so my husband had to go, uh, and uh, that really was a change for him. My husband yeah. was a, a very good, active Catholic, but didn't really embrace the. Um, uh, encounter with Jesus, like sure, he yeah. would have uh, after CEC. Um, after CEC, he just uh, really, at CEC, he really had an encounter with Jesus, and uh, it did change his life. So, you, you know, and for those who don't have the context, CEC is a, it's a weekend retreat that really is amazing at fostering an encounter with Jesus. Uh, but there's this rule, so tell, make sure I get this right, that it's all men on the weekends and all women on the weekends and the wives, women aren't allowed to go until their husband has gone, which is brilliant in, <laughs> in assuring uh, that the men get on the retreat because the wives are are usually nudging them because they would like to, because they've heard how wonderful it is from their friends. Right. Yes. So, yeah. So after that, we, uh, you know, we really, I guess, embraced our faith more. We were always at church. We always were doing things. But after CEC, we really did 
changed our prayer life. Uh, we yeah. prayed together. We uh, just really encouraged people to go to CEC because it really is a life changing experience. So yeah, I mean, you can tell it's really interesting. You know, we've from folks of us here that work for the archdiocese as we travel about. You know, when we get the the joy to go out to some of our rural parishes. Um, you know, there often isn't a lot of programming or staff at rural parishes. There's, you know, amazing hospitality, deep faith, usually the best food. But when we would we would go there, CEC is so powerful in the rural area. It felt like we could kind of almost pick out the faces and the head nods and the individuals who had experienced this. And so inevitably, you know, if we'd be in a conversation in a parish hall with a group at a certain point, we're like, well, have any of you been on CEC? And sure enough, there'd be just, you know, a dozen or so hands that would go up and you're like, yeah. And you could just tell that there was a vibrancy and a joy for those who had experienced that. Yes, I agree that it really does bring you much closer to Christ and, and the joy of your Catholic faith and just the joy of knowing Christ just comes through uh, much greater after you've been through to CEC. Yeah. yeah we so weren't planning. CEC is not yeah, CEC is not a sponsor of the Equipcast, no. although but we just gave we just gave a great plug, a highly highly well. recommended. So Kathy, I want to talk about pastoral planning here. Again, I, I kind of made an attempt to define it. It's just the it's the it's the planning of okay, with the facilities and priests and staffing and all, how do we best allocate uh, we usually, how, how does a bishop best allocate the resources at his disposal to serve the people of God in his diocese? And it gets challenging because that changes when less people are practicing the faith than in previous generations, when populations shift dramatically, like often happens between you know our rural and our suburban areas. Uh, and then you get uh, we had a really high number of priests, exceptionally, unusually high number of priests through the 70s and early 80s. As we kind of settle back into what is really more normal, uh, we feel the loss. And some places, it gets really intense. And so, you know, without being crass about it, pastoral planning ends up being that process where sometimes a bishop in consultation with a pastor and the people of the community say, okay, this, this parish needs to close, or this parish, uh, we can no longer say Sunday mass, or, or these two need to come together uh, in order to keep the faith vibrant. Let's bring both of these shrinking communities together to maintain vibrancy. Man, those things are hard. As we enter into that conversation, I want to give a couple of disclaimers. One, we don't we don't have any inside knowledge about how pastoral planning is going to go in Duncan or anywhere else for that matter. No. Two, we don't, we don't have any desire to minimize the pain and fear uh, people feel, feel as this process unfolds and as special places and routines are, are potentially going to change. We, we want to offer hope, but we don't want to minimize the challenge. And I, I just said it, but what we really want to do is we want to offer hope and additional perspectives that that hopefully make this easier. So those are those are kind of my disclaimers. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Kathy. <laughs> no, I uh, I certainly yeah would add the same disclaimers. I you know I am been part of pastoral planning. This is my third time around. Yeah, it is a difficult job. Um, 
you know, and for the first time, it was really difficult because it was with the consulting group and they were just, uh, they put everybody on the chopping block and we were really, mm-hmm. we were there, but thank goodness they, the archbishop stopped, uh, stopped all of that and, uh, you know, went a different route. And then the second yeah. time around, we were, we were very, uh, ready to go with the, the whole plan that was uh, proposed. And then again, they stopped that too. So we're in it third time around. I am very hopeful. We have a great, uh, pastoral planning committee here where it's the three Columbus parishes, uh, Platt Center and Duncan, which are the two smaller parishes. Uh, we're very blessed to have uh, the three churches in Columbus. Uh, Columbus mm-hmm. is a vibrant Catholic community. Mm-hmm. For the size of the town to have three Catholic churches and two of them are really big Catholic churches um, is just amazing. So for us, I think we've seen the writing on the wall that we probably are not always going to have a Sunday mass here, but that doesn't affect how we feel about our community. Um, A lot of people, yes, especially the older uh, people, it's really hard for them. They have been a part of this parish and, uh, you know, it's difficult for them to travel, even though it's only 10 miles to go to Columbus, but it's difficult for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, want, we certainly have tried to keep them a part of this and to uh, certainly acknowledge and hopefully minimize any of their uh, fears about what's going to happen if we yeah. you know, do have to give up our Sunday mass. The committee that we have in Columbus has been uh, amazing. We have a great committee. They are all uh, committed to making this a great a great effort, a great uh, moving on for other people, and yeah. not to minimize the the parishes in Duncan and Platt Center. They've been very open to working as uh, hard as we can to perhaps keep a mass at each of those parishes. So, so that's been that's been great. I appreciate. It. I mean, Kathy, not to you know, we don't want to throw anybody under the bus. You know, I'm sure those consultants were were, were nice folks, sure. but there is I'm something. Sure. There's something different, uh, this approach to pastoral planning. I think it's it's not completely unique to Omaha, but I think it's something that we've tried to say, okay, let's do this. God bless professional consultants, but let's do this ourselves. Let's do this inside. Let's let's have a conversation between the bishop and those he's asked to facilitate pastoral planning and the pastors and the lay leaders at the parishes. And my goodness, it's it's going to be hard conversations, but let's let's do this together. Right. I know a part of that has been just providing people an awareness of some of the numbers. You know, I alluded to the data around shifting demographics and priest availability, disaffiliation of the faith. This is not your first time with pastoral planning. You've seen some of that data. How did you first react when you saw it? Well, I guess the first time I saw it, I wasn't completely surprised. I mean, we we knew that there is a, a, a real shortage of priests. Um, we have seen the shrinking numbers of our own parish. Sure. You know, and you see it just at uh, ordinary weekend masses. I mean, we like all parishes used to have three masses on the weekend and they were pretty much all full. Yeah. Now we have one and it's usually semi-full, but, you know, some weekends, depends on when the Huskers are playing sometimes, (laughs) right? you know, that kind of thing too, as to how many people are at mass here in Duncan. And we do only have one mass even now. And that's been for several years that we've only had one mass on the weekends. So it's, um, it's just, 
it wasn't surprising for me to to see those numbers. I knew they were coming. And again, the shift from the rural areas to the uh, urban areas is absolutely hard to not recognize. You see, I mean, yeah. even in our own parish, you see the the kids that grew up here who no longer live here in the rural areas. They've all mm-hmm. moved to to the urban areas. So I was not entirely surprised. But I know a lot of people are thinking well, we still could have our parish open. And mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, that will be, in, even if we don't have a mass here, that we are still part of a community and we still can uh, get together as a community and fellowship mm-hmm. and do things uh, as a Catholic community or as just an ordinary community. We're trying to uh, foster a real community uh, relationship here, even with the people that live in Duncan that are not Catholic. You know, we certainly invite them to yeah. all the events that we have and that kind of thing. So, Kathy, I'd love for you to to talk more about that because, again, you know, you've you've had to process this possibility of closure or merger or just just stopping Sunday Mass, which. I'm glossing over. There's there are distinct differences in all of those terms. You know, some of them involve legal uh, elements. Others are just just a change in in where mass is celebrated. Uh, without making those distinctions, how have you processed that those possibilities? You don't seem to be anxious, or I mean, knowing how precious you know the community and the, the church at Duncan is to you. You don't seem to be, uh, for lack of a better word, fretting about that. How have you processed that? Because that's hard. That is hard, Jim. And and uh, probably uh, before I would have met the people from the archdiocese, uh, you included, uh, I might have fretted more. But I have, uh, through our leveling sessions and through the mentorship program, I have come to know that, yes, I love my church here in Duncan. Don't get me wrong. I love being a part of the community here in Duncan. The people here are very special to me. You go to Mass, you know everybody at Mass. Mm -hmm. But that's not my Catholic faith. I mean, that's a building. Mm. Uh, The community certainly is part of my Catholic faith. But I can have that relationship with Jesus, whether I go to church here in Duncan or whether I have to go to Mass in Columbus or um, somewhere else. We're very fortunate. We are just, uh, we live right on the edge of the Lincoln Diocese. So there's a small country church outside of town here too, that we are Mm. able to go to. So all of those churches, we're blessed that the Catholic faith is the same, no matter where we are. Yeah. If I go to church uh, in the small country church, or I go to church in Columbus, like I did this morning, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we're all part of the same Catholic faith. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit has a plan for us, and he certainly will not abandon us. Kathy, just for, for those who aren't familiar, I'll take a shot at, you know, first off, the mentorship program you mentioned, that's a, it's a two-year training program in, you know, for lay people in prayer and evangelization, how to share your faith in kind of the ordinary circumstances of your life. So that's the mentorship program. And then the leveling sessions are parish-based workshops, usually three nights. I very fondly remember the food we had uh, uh, when, when, we, when we came to Platt Center, Duncan, and, and Tarnoff. We did it all together. But three parish-based nights that are very similar. It's got you know, introductions to prayer, to the call of the new evangelization, and then just a little kind of taste intro 
into sharing your faith. Talk a little bit about what you took away from those experiences and how they've shaped the way you process pastoral planning. At the time that we started the leveling sessions and then I uh, joined the mentorship program, I I had a prayer life, but it was my prayer life. I was didn't really share mm. it with other people, you know. So uh, when we had the leveling sessions and you taught us how to uh, do a small group session and again, going through the mentorship program and learning um, how to pray and how to share and just one-on-one with another person has really changed my life Mm. to come and do this here and sit here and visit with you, Jim, I would have been terrified before. (laughs) Uh, I have adopted my favorite uh, saying from the Bible is be not afraid. Mm. That is, has become my motto. I do not hesitate to tell people how God works in my life, whether it be from him providing me the most beautiful sunrise uh, that I've ever seen, or whether it be uh, a hug from a grandchild. Mm -hmm. He works in my life all the time. And I don't hesitate to tell people that. And before Mm -hmm. this, I would not have shared those things. I mean, I knew they were from God, but I would not have shared that with other people to tell them Mm -hmm. that that is how God is moving in my life. And I do not hesitate to um, to tell everybody that that is how God moves in your life. Mm. So that's how those things have changed for me. Yeah, I love I love that. I which is not. I mean, this is not like I. I want to make sure to emphasize for those listening that like, oh, evangelization training program. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, I'll pass. Like not not for me, but 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 like if you know if what Kathy's saying could be any encouragement, it's like no, it's just. Letting the ways the Lord is loving you, one, growing in increasing awareness of those ways, and then sharing those, like, this is not rocket science. This is not, you know, it's not a theology degree or some advanced studies. It's very simple and accessible. Yes, very much so. Um, the mentorship program or the leveling sessions, both. Certainly, we're encur- we were encouraged to learn how to share our faith with other people, but the way that I, as a kind of an introvert shares my faith is very different from someone uh, like yeah. Jim Jansen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who can, who can may really... or may not be an extrovert. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. Yeah. So Kathy, one of the things that, you know, I, I really love the story here and I, I'm like so excited. I hope we can do justice to it. I very fondly remember those leveling sessions, not just because the food was amazing. And I really, I'm sorry to dwell on that, but it was just, it was just wonderful hospitality. All of the, you know, beautiful stereotypes about a close knit, uh, you know, rural community. But I remember as we were doing this, it was really fun. We were enjoying it. There was like, just, it was a great, great time. And I remember as we were driving out uh, the last time, I was reflecting and I, and I had this sinking feeling. I was like, oh no, have I misled people and somehow given the impression that, well, if, if we just go through these sessions and you all start sharing their faith and maybe you get a couple of small groups started, you're going to be able to keep your parish open. And I was definitely afraid because I you know, really cared for you all that I was like, oh my gosh, I've misled them. So I started right away that, that first session was like, listen, everybody, I just have to be honest you could do everything perfect. And this is really more about population shifts and mechanized farming and forces that are beyond any of our control. You may not be able 
to keep your parish open no matter what you do. And I'm sorry if I've given the impression you know, that this is a this for that. And everyone's like, no. I mean, we, we know and we almost don't care because we found something here that's beautiful in of itself. And we're going to take it with us wherever we end up. Really a beautiful moment for me. And, and I agree. That was, uh, you know, at first, I think that is what some people thought, that if we went through these trainings and, and got some small groups started, that possibly that would affect uh, whether we were going to be opened or closed. But yeah. uh, as people went through the training sessions and really got to learn how to pray with scripture and uh, share with other people, I saw them just open up and just mm -hmm. really embrace that type of thing. And we have just done some amazing things here in Duncan that I would never have thought possible. Yeah, yeah. Please share. I love that because you all did it and it's so cool. So yeah, share some of the stuff that you guys have been doing. So we do have uh, several small groups that, that meet at different times, uh, which are absolutely great. But the one in really encouraging thing for me was last spring we started, um, we wanted to do something on the kind of like on alpha basis, but we didn't want to go through the alpha uh, whole thing. So we did uh, four, week, four weeks in a row. We called it fellowship, dinner, and dessert. Mm -hmm. uh, we fixed a meal and we uh, invited all of the, the whole parish to come. Uh, whether you're a member of the parish or not, we invited the community to come. Mm -hmm. We unfortunately did not have anybody that wasn't part of the parish, but still that we threw that invitation out there. We're a parish of 100 families. We had 54 people consistently every yeah. week for four weeks. That's, That's huge. just amazing. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, when they came the first week, I thought, oh, they're just coming to see what it's all about. So we served dinner. Uh, we did a short video clip, and then we did some sharing at each individual tables. And then as a large group, invited if they wanted to uh, share with the large group and then serve dessert and said goodbye, you're done for the evening. But everybody then came back the second, third and fourth weeks. I was just, um, I was so pleased. It was just great to see everybody sharing, everybody embracing uh, the message mm -hmm. that was on the video. It was just really, really cool. The Holy Spirit was definitely at work in our parish. Yeah, I love that because it's, you know, it's not rocket science. Again, yes, you know, especially I think about like our rural communities. I don't know why this is like my fourth food reference, but there is something <laughs> very powerful about bringing people together around food, you know, without taking too much of a, of a tangent here. That's part of, I think, oftentimes people break uh, an evangelization program like Alpha because they make it all about the information and they miss. No, it's really good for people to just sit and visit and share a meal. And yes. yes, there does have to be some content, but that is not accidental to the power of this thing. And of course, I would expect, you know, folks in in Duncan to like, yeah, food food matters. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and we we do like well, and especially when we know that people are coming out from from Omaha, we like to tempt them with food so that they come out more often. So oh my goodness. we always it's serve a, you really good food. A, oh yeah, it's a, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. People do uh, do need to feel that fellowship. We're in our society anymore. I mean, everybody's got their heads buried in their phones and they don't take time to visit with their neighbors and to visit with other people. So to have the community come together um, and just 
have some fellowship around a, a meal and to just stop for even if it's just an hour, hour and a half, it just makes a huge difference in the way yeah. that they see other people. Um, and to meet their neighbors. Mm-hmm. We have people who have lived here a long time and they were uh, seated at a table with somebody that they didn't know. And they enjoyed so much getting to know somebody mm-hmm. different, you know, somebody new and just to learn their story a little bit. too. Yeah. E- even in small towns and small parishes, the, yes. the sense of isolation and uh, people that we don't know is uh, still very real. Right. It is very much so. Our community, just like all, all small communities, we don't have a school here anymore. And so, you know, there's not uh, the you don't get to know people at school or uh, at other community events. So this really helped to bring the parish together and to um, to help us get to know each other better. Yeah. Kathy, talk a little bit. You talked about just people getting to know each other, both with the small groups and then these larger community gatherings, like what are the results you've seen? You know, because you had the chance to go through this formal program to to really dive into prayer and learning how to share your faith. These are a little bit, you know, these are more like baby steps and more accessible. What what if what effect is that having in people's lives? Well, I've seen a real um spirit of people willing to do things with the parish, like to uh, wanting to be a lector or an EMHC, uh, just wanting to participate, Mm. uh, maybe being a greeter at mass or something like that, or to do some little thing around the church. Uh, We, of course, don't have a maintenance committee or well, we have mm-hmm. a maintenance committee, but it's entirely volunteers. And right, so yeah. just to everybody has really stepped up, you know, to uh, to do small things around the parish, which makes it uh, so much easier to do, you know, to maintain our uh, parish grounds and to maintain everything. And I've also seen a real fellowship around, you know, after mass. Uh, it used mm. to be people would just after mass, everybody's gone in five minutes. Now people are standing around talking outside of church or in the back of church, uh, just really wanting to connect with other people. So, so that's been good to see. I want to highlight what you just said there, because in some ways it's like, oh yeah, okay. You know, people are knowing each other. Yeah. They're hanging out. There's more connection. They're, they're serving. They're more willing to help, but it's not like you weren't asking people to help before. But right. now, now they're saying yes. What's or or just volunteering coming forward? What what's the difference? Do you think? I think the difference is the feeling that they got from attending either a small group or the the dinners that we provided. I think they realized that that was their encounter with Jesus. That mm. was. They may not view it exactly that, oh, that was my encounter with Jesus, but they mm-hmm. knew that something different was happening and that they that it made them feel good. And yeah. that, that's what people are looking for, something that makes them feel good. And yeah. we all know that Jesus is the best reason in the world to feel good. So yeah. to have that little bit of an encounter with Jesus, I think, really does change lives. Yeah. Because these aren't these aren't just social. I mean, you know, these yeah. the small groups and the, I mean they are social, richly. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned that there's food, <laughs> but <laughs> but there but the the word of God, scripture and prayer, again in a very natural, ordinary way that people can receive. But they're like the Lord is present in the community, and then particularly in the word of God, 
And that's people are encountering him there, even if they wouldn't walk away quite in the same way they would from a CEC weekend saying, oh, my goodness, this changed my life. They are nonetheless having an encounter. Right. And they're um, they're also by getting to know their neighbors and their story a little bit, uh, they're gentler with each other. You know, they're more understanding of perhaps the other person in the pew with them or the other person that they encounter on the street. You know, once you get to know people and get to know their story, it just makes you understand that person a little better to understand why they may be a little short with you at times or they're frustrated about something. So I think all of that um, helps to Mm make it a gentler community too, and to make them more accepting of other people. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I'm just, I'm just fascinated. I I think what you said is totally true. I'm fascinated by it because, you know, I, I grew up in Omaha, but I had the the blessing. Uh, My dad grew up in Cedar County, Northeast Nebraska. So I I spent a lot of summers on, on the farm and there is a little bit, I think of a, a very positive stereotype uh, maybe even an idolized view that folks of, folks of us from the suburbs have about rural life. And, oh, well, people in the small parishes, they actually, they all know each other and they all love each other and they're always there for each other. And that's true. But you're saying like, yeah, but there was there is something more the Lord has given us. Yes, we do know each other and we love each other, but we some the Lord has done something new and different and deeper for our community and for our connection in faith uh, through these experiences. Oh, yes, I definitely agree. Um, and we like all small towns, you you used to know everybody that lived in town and you knew everybody that lived in the surrounding areas, but mm-hmm. we're a much more mobile society. As I would walk down the streets in Duncan right now, I would probably not know half of the people that live here. Mm-hmm. So just to get to know them in a different way even has opened my eyes to some of their struggles and to to get to know them better and to know uh, their stories. And I think that has happened with a lot of our parishioners, you know, just to get to know some of the people that have moved into town and to uh, know the different stories and to make it a much gentler community to live mm-hmm. in. Kathy, we, you know, again, we talked at the outset, you know, we don't know how things are going to settle for pastoral planning anywhere or, or Duncan, you know, in, in particular, there's, you know, strong likelihood that Duncan might be one of those places that is, that we're just not able to continue to say mass uh, or on a weekend anymore. Where do you find hope? You know, I mean, again, that's, that's a, just a, a stark and challenging reality. But there's so much hope that kind of exudes from the, the way you speak. And I, I get to see your face as, as we talk yeah. here. Talk a little bit about the hope you have, even amidst that uncertainty and that potential loss. Yeah, I as I go through pastoral planning, like I said, this is the third time. Uh, it becomes very obvious that eventually they, the archdiocese, with the number of priests that we have and the demographics in the larger parishes, that we are not going to be able to say mass at all of these small parishes. I wish we could because uh, it's very beautiful to go to a mass at a small parish and to mm-hmm. uh, feel that real sense of community. But we're we're still the same church. We, we're looking, we're serving the same God, and he is so good to all of us. 
Hmm. And he is in the large church and in the large community, um, as well as in the small communities. He is there for mm-hmm. us all the time. And that that is what gives me hope. I love my Catholic faith. I love uh, looking for the blessings in my life. And uh, that gives me great hope always. Hmm. Whether I'm going to have to go to church in Columbus or we'll be blessed to have a mass here in Duncan for a while. Yeah. You know, Kathy, is I've, I've never quite thought about it but as you speak it really i can't imagine how hard the pastoral planning process would be for uh non-catholic communities and what i mean by that is like you know lutheran methodist episcopalian it depends on yeah depends on which part of nebraska you're in there's there's some parts and and towns that are very very catholic and some that are very very protestant some that are kind of a mix you know catholics on one one side of the town and lutherans on the other but there is something about the unity of worship and faith that we have as catholics that as we begin to well, as you know, the, the demographics necessitate a celebration of faith within a new community. That's just got to be a little bit easier for us as Catholics because of the unity we have in the way we right. celebrate and worship. Right. Another thing that um, that I find so beautiful about our Catholic faith is uh, that it was kind of a COVID thing. Uh, forced a lot of parishes to uh, broadcast mass and that Mm -hmm. that has continued. And that makes it easier for people in the rural communities, especially the elderly who can't necessarily get to mass uh, daily or even on the weekends that they are able to watch mass online. I have even a a couple that are Lutherans that uh, are, I'm close with that they're close friends of mine. And I mean, these are, diehard Lutherans (laughs) and he watches mass every morning because he can watch it on TV where the Lutheran church doesn't offer anything for him. So, so I just think that, um, you know, that's one of the blessings that has come out of COVID that uh, parishes continue to uh, broadcast their masses online. And it makes it uh, just such a beautiful way for a lot of people to start their day where they can't, don't have access to a daily mass. Yeah, you know, I thank you for saying that because I think for for those of us in the in the metro area where you know the snowplows are out, you know, the minute the first flake hits the ground, I don't. It, it can be difficult to appreciate. Yeah, I'm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, you folks in Duncan. Gosh, you're only you're only ten miles from Columbus. You're like, yeah, but have you driven those roads when the snow dri- drifts in? And there is there is something really unifying and powerful about being able to connect with your community, even if it is simply, you know, just via the the mass broadcast or, or live stream where you can hear your choir, however good or bad, you can hear your <laughs> pastor, however, well, the pastor's preaching is always good. So <laughs> you're like, we can stay connected with our communities. That's a, um, that's something it's not, it's not just a convenient thing. And I love what you're saying. It's it's maybe not even just a COVID thing. There's something powerful right. there. I agree because um, you know we have we of course in you know being a small rural community don't have any um, elderly um, housing or elderly uh, care facilities here, 
And so yeah. a lot of our parishioners have uh, gone to Columbus because they have to go into some sort of a facility. And mm-hmm. they routinely, we are one of the parishes that we don't broadcast during the daily mass, but we do broadcast our weekend mass. And they do love the fact that they still can be a part of the community by watching that uh, that live stream. So, uh, so that just is really an awesome way for people to um, to stay a part of their community when they're yeah. when they're in the facility or whether they are living out in the country and and if they are elderly or uh you know not able to make it into town for mass that they can that they have that opportunity. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Kathy, our time has flown here. Oh. I just want to give you kind of a last word. Uh, what would you say to someone listening who just they want to take a first step in helping their parish become a missional community. You know, we haven't used that that word in this conversation, but that's kind of what the whole thing is about, that whatever structural changes happen around us, we recognize that the Lord is calling us. And then, you know, here in Omaha, through our archbishop, to rediscover our missionary identity and that our parishes would become, again, missional communities. Is somebody's feeling that, you know, and what you talk about with the small groups and the the, the nights, larger groups, gatherings, is somebody's like, yeah, I kind of want that. I'd like to be a little bit less uh, agitated by the the potential loss. Where 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 should they begin? Well, I think um, you know, just have coffee with a friend and ask them if they would like to join you uh, mm. in maybe getting together with a couple of other friends and forming a small group. I would contact the evangelization office and get some resources as far as Mm -hmm. how to conduct a small group because it's very, very simple and very, very gratifying. You don't always have to have food, although food is nice. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, But just to get together with, uh, you know, whether it's two or three people and just to start from there and it just grows. And perhaps after you become comfortable, then you can expand it to uh, maybe everybody wants to then invite two or three more people and form some other small groups. And as far as doing a parish activity, just start with, again, that same small group and and see if they wouldn't help you um, organize something. It's uh, It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Um, mm-hmm. Here in Duncan, we had we had a taco bar the first night, I think, or lasagna the next night. You know, so it was it was simple things because a lot of the people that were helping with the activity work. And so, of course, they weren't able to come during the day and help with food and stuff. But these were things that we could perhaps prepare the night before and then just stick them in the oven before people came. So it was, it just doesn't have to be anything fancy. Mm -hmm. Um, We had fun with just uh, doing some simple meals and just uh, handing people a beer or a glass of wine, even when they walked in the door, just to get to know them. And uh, it was just great to do that kind of thing. So that's just start small and start simple. That's my, uh, that's my thought on it. Yeah. Amen. I love it. And we would be happy to, you know, if anybody's listening here, we'll put contact information uh, at the end here. But if you're interested in finding out about those leveling session things, uh, if you're interested in the mentorship program, we'll put a link. The mentorship program has its own website and there'll be another group starting up in, in August. We'd be more than happy. I mean, that's that's why we're here to help, you know, parishes uh, come to a place where they're able to 
begin, however small, in, in kind of rebuilding their community and beginning to look outward uh, towards the larger towns and counties that the Lord has entrusted to us to, to share the gospel with. And I guess I would, the only other thing I would say is, you know, the people that you invite to, to coffee or to a small group don't have to be Catholic either. I mean, this is yes, not, thank you. Yeah. This, yeah, we don't have to all be Catholic. We have people that are, go to different churches that have joined some of our small groups and they just love it because they too don't have their church here in our small community. So they too have reached out and have really embraced the idea of the small group. And yeah, it's non-denominational. You know, we're, we're Catholic and we want everybody to be Catholic, but that they are able to join us. And uh, sometimes they put us to shame when it comes to, Oh, well, where is that in the Bible? And they whip it out. You know, we're not quite as fast with our Bibles as they are, but, uh, but it's just a great way to share and to, to become part of a community. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, and in many ways, that's, that's the point, (laughs) you know, as, as the Lord, as we're beginning to radiate, radiate even beyond our own community, there's a, I mean, we're Catholic and by our very name, we kind of have a universal mission and uh, responsibility. So that's awesome. Yeah. I love, uh, yeah, I love what's happening in, in little, little Duncan and those parishes there. In many ways, you're an example, whatever, whatever the structures and the parish alignments end up being, there's something beautiful happening there that I know is going to persist uh, no matter, you know, no matter the mass schedule and the structure. Yes. And that's what gives me hope, too, is because we have become a more vibrant community is that a lot of our programs, uh, whether it be our uh, dinner program or the small groups or even our uh, Eucharistic adoration is going to continue, whether we have a weekend mass or not. Hopefully those things are part of our community and and uh, people are enjoying them. And we're really anxious to uh, to build on that. So that's fantastic. Kathy, thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for yeah sharing a little bit a little bit of your story today. Great. Thanks, Jim. All right, everybody. You know somebody who needs to hear this. So when you get to the end of your drive or you can tie up your dog and (laughs) and share this out uh, with someone, uh, go ahead and share it out with somebody who needs to hear this story. Thanks for being with us, everybody. (laughs) 